Hello, I'm John Rossi, a touring drummer with a love of all things animal. When I'm on the road, I visit as many zoos, aquariums. Hey, wait a minute. What's going on? Hey, what's going on there? Hello? Hello? We interrupt your regularly scheduled program to bring you Rossafari Zoo News. News you can use from the world of zoos and conservation. Every week, we bring you breaking news and analysis from around the globe, featuring the animals you love and the people who care for them. And here's your anchorman, John Rossi. Hello, 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 and welcome to Rossafari Zoo News, your look at everything going on in the worlds of zoos, aquariums, conservation, and general animal weirdness. Y'all, this is a crazy busy week, Zoo News-wise. I posted this on Instagram on, I think it was Saturday, maybe even Friday, but um, I already had enough stories by, let's say, Saturday morning uh, to do a whole nother episode, even though I released Zoo News on Friday, like I always do. Uh, it's just been a crazy week of stuff happening. And, you know, I've got a couple deep dives that I want to go into and a bunch of kind of loose stories. So I'm not going to do the usual long intro telling you all about my life. Uh, also, I'm on my kind of break time now from my main gig. So, um, Honestly, there's not all that much to share about other than that I'm enjoying some downtime. So that's nice. Uh, two quick things that I will say about the whole personal life thing. First of all, uh, for those of you who have not heard, um, Instagram and Facebook are owned by a company named Meta, and uh, they have released their own alternative to Twitter, which is called Threads. It came out uh, earlier this week, and I am on there, at Safari if you want to follow along. My Twitter has always been very dead, in part because I don't really care about Twitter, in part because when I finally thought maybe I should start to build it up is when Elon Musk bought it and has been slowly running it into the ground, and in part because I have the weird habit whenever I say the name of the app of saying Twitter, as opposed to just calling it Twitter like you're supposed to. So really, why promote something that makes me sound like a total goober? Because I say, again, Twitter. So uh, yeah, but threads, I'm on threads, and uh, we'll see what happens with it. So far, it's kind of weird and kind of like the Wild West, um, but I'm there and I'm at Ross Safari. So if you want to be there and if you want to see Ross Safari stuff, uh, I am on there. At least for now, I am not just reposting stuff like I do between Insta and Facebook and all that stuff. It is kind of where I'm posting different things and, and thoughts and stuff. We'll see what happens with it. The only other thing that I want to say from the personal life side of things is that uh, for those of you who are in the central Pennsylvania or like New Jersey region, if you would like to come and see me play one of the few gigs I'm actually doing this summer, despite taking most of it off. I will be performing in the theatrical concert that I tour with frequently, Great Balls of Fire, at Mount Gretna on Friday, July 28th. Uh, this is one of my, if not my favorite, shows to perform. And uh, I really enjoy Gretna. It's this outdoor theater, but it's it's got a roof and it's pretty cool. Uh, I, was, I was in a show there last year and I performed there a couple years before that. Um, and it's just a really cool spot. So if you happen to be anywhere near that vicinity and want to come see an absolutely rocking band. Uh, it's it's a lot of fun. Come see Great Balls of Fire at Mount Gretna on Friday, July 28th. You can check out their website for more details. 
Also, make sure you check out my website, rossafari.com. And if you'd like to support the pod, you can go to patreon.com slash rossafari to do so. Make sure you're following along on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, as well as threads at rossafari and uh, on TikTok at rossafaripod. And remember, you can submit Zoo News stories to me uh, at any of those places or by emailing me, rossafaripod at gmail.com. And I'll say your name at the end of the episode. Yay. All right. So with all of that said, let's get to it. All right, Joe. So we're going to start off with our standard births and deaths. Uh, and we've actually got a lot to cover just in this area alone. So uh, to start off with, I am wildly excited to tell y'all that Buttonwood Park Zoo, our good friends where I went and drummed with Emily the Elephant, have announced the birth of two red panda cubs. Pandlets! Woohoo! So these were born to Jacob and Marie, who you heard about on the podcast, if you listened. And if not, you can go and learn all about them. And this is um, only the second time in the zoo's history that they have had pandlets. Uh, so really exciting time. They seem to be doing really well. Marie is a great mom and is doing a good job raising the cubs. Uh, and as a bonus thing that you can do, you can go to Buttonwood Park Zoo's social media and join their Red Panda Pals. Uh, this is a, a membership where you can do an exclusive adopt an animal package. You get to suggest a name for each cub and you get exclusive behind the scenes content that is only made available to the Panda Pals. So head on over and become a Panda Pal so you can see Jacob and Marie's Pandlets grow up even better than the rest of us get to. Really exciting times. And actually, uh, not too surprising here, but uh, this this is not the only set of pandas that we're going to be talking about being born. Um, as I've mentioned before, and as probably a lot of you know, uh, this is the red panda birth season. It's pretty rare that pandas are born outside of the couple summer months. So you're going to hear about a whole lot of panda births, including a single red panda cub that was born to mom Mai at Wingham Wildlife Park. So far, uh, Mai is doing a great job taking care of the pandlet. They actually have an amazing picture on their social media of her just carrying this little ball of floof carefully in her mouth as they do. It is adorable. It is wonderful. And uh, congratulations to everyone there. And guess what? We're not done yet. Because the Birmingham Zoo has also announced a pair of pandlets being born there. Uh, these are to parents Gizmo and Kodo. And um, it's just really, really exciting news. Uh, they had to do all kinds of prep work to get ready once the pregnancy was confirmed, including um, creating multiple spaces behind the scenes for Kodo to start nesting in preparation for the cubs. And uh, so far, Kodo is doing a really good job taking care as well. So um, none of these cubs have needed to be pulled, which is always really exciting. And yeah, so we've got a uh, we've got five new red pandas in the world since the last time that we spoke about uh, this whole 
panda birth situation, which is pretty darn exciting. The Cincinnati Zoo and Botanical Gardens recently announced the hatching of four baby flamingos, flaminglets, which is really adorable. Uh, And this actually happened um, just on exhibit in the flamingo habitat, and people were able to actually watch the chicks hatch, which is really, really cool. So congrats to the team at the Cincinnati Zoo. The Dallas Zoo has announced the birth of an adorable female colobus monkey. Colobit? Colobit. I like it. <laughs> um, so this is actually uh, super interesting because colobus monkeys do something known as allomothering in which all the females of the troop take turns in caring for the newborn. So uh, in this case, despite having one biological mother, the colobus monkey will have multiple people serving in that role. Um, and yes, I use the term people, which actually can be used with animals. I uh, I did not know that at first, but it doesn't just mean humans. So uh, there you go. A new monkey and a lesson in uh, language. Yay. The Riverbanks Zoo has announced the birth of a baby harbor seal. Seal it. <laughs> and it is wildly, wildly adorable. Um, harbor seals are just really cute animals. And I feel like the... Uh, the 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 babies are are extra cute as well, which is not you know always the case. Um, yeah, but it's it's really exciting news that this uh this harbor seal has been born, and it's not the only pinniped that we're going to be talking about because the uh, Sea World in San Diego has announced the birth of a baby sea lion or sea lilit, and uh, <laughs> the mother is named Cookie. So the baby is named Crumble, or Crumb for short, which is extra, extra adorable. He's doing really well, hanging out with the fam, and also doing a lot of exploring already. So uh, congrats to the teams at Riverbanks and SeaWorld for having amazing pinniped births. And then our friends at the Potter Park Zoo, the people who brought us the term bintlets and are the reason that we keep adding lits to all of the different animals now, have announced the birth of a ring-tailed lemur, which I can only assume they're calling a lemlet because that's what we're calling it. Um, And it is the uh, second time that there has been a successful ring-tailed lemur birth at the zoo. The lemur is thriving and mom is, like I've been talking about a lot in this episode, fortunately, doing a great job, which is not always the case. So is always really cool to see. The San Antonio Zoo has announced the birth of four red-ruffed lemurs. Yes, quadruplets, that poor mother. Now, there are four lemurs at the San Antonio Aquarium that weren't there before. And uh, having seen red-ruffed lemur babies just uh, be wild and hyper and playful and... I mean, I overuse this word, but they are total, total goobers. Uh, I imagine that the aquarium and the the people who go there are in for quite a good time because uh, those animals are rambunctious and adorable, and I love them. The Philadelphia Zoo has announced the birth of two Arapoa. 
Arapawa. I don't know how to say that word, and I'm recording too late to ask anyone who's an expert. Anyway, uh, two new baby goats, goatlets. Uh, their names are Georgina and Lucas because their due date was May the 4th. Ha <laughs> ha. I like that a lot. And one of the cool things about these goats, other than the fact that, you know, they're baby goats, which are awesome, is that um, they were conceived through laparoscopic artificial insemination. Uh, so that is really exciting. They're also a species that is in a lot of trouble. There are less than 500 in the world. So breeding programs at zoos like the Philadelphia Zoo are wildly important for making sure that the species continues to exist. And, you know, I love a good animal birth, but I really love a good animal birth that uh, helps with conservation like those goats. And like our next story, out of the Minnesota Zoo, where zoo biologists recorded successful breeding and egg laying from a female Powashik skipperling butterfly. This is the first breeding event in all of Minnesota for the species in the last 15 years, and uh, there are roughly 100 still in the wild. So uh, managed breeding is wildly important for this species as well. So huge congrats to the Minnesota Zoo. And our final birth of the week is also one that's really important for conservation. The San Diego Zoo Safari Park has announced the birth of yet another Chevalsky's horse colt, or Chevalslet, as I like to call them. Oh, that one's a stretch. I like this game. Uh, anyway, the Chevalslet uh, is really important because there is such a lack of genetic diversity in the few remaining pea horses that are in the wild that literally every birth right now is wildly important. And um, the San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance has been working uh, since the 1970s to reintroduce the species into the wild and help to increase the genetic diversity of the species in the wild. So really important birth, really good work, and congrats as always to the team out in San Diego. All right, y'all, now it is time to get into the deaths of the week. And uh, this, is, uh, this is a tough one for me. Um, the first two animals that I'm going to be talking about are both animals that I've gotten to know through the podcast and have a bit of a, a relationship with or at least spent some time with. And um, uh, I found out they passed literally on back-to-back uh, Instagram posts when I woke up one morning and, and logged on to Instagram. Um, they, were the, they were the first two posts that popped up. And it was one of those days where I thought, oh, Maybe I'll just go back under the covers, but I didn't. Um, so the first one of those is Binti, the chimpanzee at Zoo Knoxville. Now, for those of you who are longtime fans, you will recognize this name way back. Episode 20 of season number one. Uh, I went to Zoo Knoxville and spoke to Tiffany James, uh, who at the time was a great ape keeper there. And she had one mission that day. I had mentioned to her that um, great apes were, were pretty much the thing I was the least interested in at zoos. And her goal was to make me fall in love with great apes. And the way that she went about this was by introducing me to Binti the chimpanzee. Now, this was all protected contact. 
But as she talked about the different chimps that, that she worked with and as she talked about Binti, uh, the love and the, the strength of the relationship was real. And then when we went up and hung out with Binti, you could just see it. The, the love that they shared was so beautiful. And Binti was so curious and so interested in me, wanted to play with my shoes and just... I think because I was there with Tiffany in particular, you know, I was I was in. I was in the troop. I was part of the crew. And um, Binti was just so sweet and mischievous and just uh, just such a, a huge personality. I can honestly say that if you ever see me at a great ape exhibit, it's because of Binti. And if you ever hear a great ape keeper um, or a, a great ape conservation organization on this podcast, it's it's because of Binti. Um, and so uh, just to quickly share the story of, of what happened, um, uh, on Wednesday of last week, uh, Binti's caregivers uh, observed that she was very pale and lethargic, and they saw some internal bleeding and a large mass on her liver when the vet team looked into the situation. So she was transported to the University of Tennessee College of Veterinary Medicine uh, on Thursday for a CT scan, and uh, they were able to tell that the mass was too large and invasive to be surgically removed, and uh, there was no real possible medical uh, intervention that could have worked. So um, they decided to humanely euthanize Binti, and she passed peacefully, surrounded by her human care team. Uh, her body was removed from the hospital and taken back to the zoo, where the troop was given time to grieve before the uh, body was then removed and and taken um, back to the vet hospital for a necropsy, which I think is a really beautiful thing that they did that uh, and and gave the troop a chance to understand that Binti was gone and and what happened. Um, I'm going to really miss Binti, and uh, I know Tiffany is too. I reached out as soon as I saw, and we had a nice little chat. Um, even though she doesn't work with the uh, great apes anymore at Zoo Knoxville, she still has a deep love for them. As a matter of fact, I was at Knoxville hanging out with Tiffany uh, very recently, and of course, we had to go see the chimps, and we had to go see Binti, and we had to had to go spend some time over there, and and seeing how happy Tiffany was just uh, was a beautiful thing. Uh, I really miss Binti, and uh, I'm really sad that she's gone. Sending our condolences to everyone at Zoo Knoxville. And this uh, this next one is an animal that um, I got to meet through the podcast that y'all haven't actually heard from yet. Um, so a little uh, behind-the-scenes information. Um, when I went to Buttonwood Park Zoo last year and did the Red Panda interview and, and did the drumming with elephants thing and all that stuff, uh, they were very, very generous with their time and their people. And uh, they ended up uh, giving me a ton of content. And one thing that I have learned from countless fans and also just from looking at my statistics is that if I do too many interviews from the same facility in a row, um, people don't listen as much to the, the latter ones. Two works, three can work depending on the topic, and more than three and the drop-off is pretty severe. And as I think it is important that everyone gets their stories shared fairly and to the largest audience possible, I decided to put a hold on my next couple of Buttonwood Park Zoo episodes and to release them in season four, which I still plan on doing. 
And one of those episodes is all about the ambassador animals at Buttonwood Park Zoo. And the entire episode was recorded while hanging out with Roosevelt, a tegu lizard. Not an animal that you think of as, as being particularly one that people might be emotionally attached to. But Roosevelt was awesome. And I had such a ridiculously good time hanging out with this animal. And I am still so excited to share, you know, that entire episode with y'all um, and share that experience with you all. Um, and I wish I had had the chance to do so uh, or had just timed it out right so that I could have before Roosevelt passed. But um, yeah, Roosevelt was an incredible tegu lizard, absolutely beloved at the zoo. And um as an ambassador animal, uh, Roosevelt did a lot of really cool stuff, got to meet campers and, and hang out with a bunch of kids, even got to meet Santa Claus. Um, and I just think that, uh, you know, it's one of those things where to have a beloved ambassador animal that is a tegu, not the most common, most popular, definitely not fluffy, definitely not cuddly, uh, is a really cool, really powerful thing that has a huge impact on the people that meet and fall in love with that animal. So um, uh, sending our condolences to everyone at, at Buttonwood Park Zoo. And um, yeah, Roosevelt was just an amazing animal that really, really uh, did a great job being an ambassador animal. Just, just a fantastic animal. Adventure Aquarium has announced the passing of Cliff, the oldest African penguin that lived at the uh, aquarium. Cliff passed away just a, um, a few months shy of his 36th birthday. So he was one of the oldest African penguins in the country and the oldest at Adventure Aquarium. Um, and, you know, when, when I say 36 years old, um, the average lifespan of an African penguin is like somewhere in the late teens, maybe early 20s. So that's that's really amazing. Cliff has been so well taken care of and so loved. Uh, as he got older, Cliff did experience arthritis and also had impaired vision, but um, was really loving being on exhibit right till the end. He always managed to find his way out there and find his way to his food, which he really, really loved. And um, he kind of always had a little bit of... Um, let's call it unique mobility. The way that he waddled was just a little different. He had a little hitch in his step and uh, his his swimming technique wasn't necessarily um, what you would expect to see from most penguins, but he was absolutely wonderful and beloved. And sometimes those little sweet weirdnesses are what make us fall even more in love with an animal or a person. Uh, so sending huge condolences to uh, our good friends at Adventure Aquarium. Uh, Cliff is sadly, sadly missed. On a side note, if you would love to see a truly loving tribute to an amazing animal, um, our good friend Lauren, who does the social media at Adventure Aquarium, put together an amazing farewell to Cliff. And I highly recommend that you check out their social media and look at it. Um, I'm not really interested in using death to plug, you know, social media pages, uh, but it is a really, really worthwhile thing to go and take a look at. The Louisville Zoo has announced the loss of Fitz a young elephant calf who passed away due to a brief battle with endotheliotropic herpes virus, also known as the EEHV virus, which we have covered on here excessively. 
Uh, this is a virus that um, many elephants are dying from uh, in the wild and in captivity. And there are all kinds of studies being done right now and work being done and uh, labs being opened at zoos around the country. And uh, unfortunately, it's it's just not not solved yet. And so Fitz was the, uh, the latest victim. And I'm sure that the team at Louisville will be keeping an eye on the rest of their herd there. But uh, condolences to the team. It's always so sad to see a baby elephant pass because of this absolutely painful disease. All right. All right. That's that's enough for the deaths and um, that kind of sadness. Although we do have another kind of sad story. This one's more it's sad, but it's annoying. It's not going to be a tearjerker. The Cheyenne Mountain Zoo has announced um, that they are being sued by the Non-Human Rights Project, which uh, is uh, uh, they call themselves an animal rights activist group. I really hate that name because um, they're really an anti-captivity group. And um, this is an organization that is absolutely known for trying to waste um, organizations' time and money by filing frivolous lawsuits and making them spend money and, and again, waste time to, to defend themselves um, in, in, you know, lawsuits that really aren't going to work. Um, I am obviously not a uh, big fan of these very misguided people. And, you know, it kind of makes me sad because I feel like groups like this thrive on misinformation, which is being spread more than ever on the Internet. And um, I feel like it wouldn't be such an issue if it wasn't for that kind of thing. But I also feel like so many of the, the, the good things that happen from the Internet wouldn't happen without the Internet. Obviously, that was a dumb thing to say, but you know what I mean. The point is that um, stuff like this just drives me batty because the internet can be such a beautiful place and can be used for such good stuff, but instead people get a bunch of misinformation and make really stupid choices like joining this organization that um, is trying to sue the elephants away from the, the zoo. Cheyenne Mountain Zoo is an incredible facility, one of the top rated uh, in the country always, and um, they take amazing care of their animals. So uh, hopefully this, this all works out out pretty pretty well um and ends up not costing the zoo too terribly much time or or money uh but it, it's definitely a bummer that it's happening Way back in 2016, the National Aquarium announced that they were going to be taking their dolphin pod out of their captive housing and placing them into a first-of-its-kind Oceanside Sanctuary. Um, but they were very clear and very open and honest about the fact that while this was their plan, it was going to really take a long time to, to make it happen because nothing like this has ever been done before. And um, they recently released an update on the project, basically um, saying that they have been working on this. They were traveling all over Florida and the Caribbean to try to find a good place to do this. And then that got interrupted by a little thing known as COVID. And uh, that they have, um, in the, the time that they were unable to travel, 
teamed up with the experts at Sea Life Trust, a British organization that is trying to um, get beluga whales out of captivity and into an ocean sanctuary as well. And the Whale Sanctuary Project, which is another whale-focused sanctuary project that is in Canada. Uh, and so those organizations, along with the National Aquarium, have teamed up to establish guidelines for marine mammal sanctuaries uh, that have now been submitted to the Global Federation of Animal Sanctuaries and have been approved. So this is the first time that there has ever been uh, an adopted set of best practices for cetacean sanctuaries, um, which is, is pretty cool and pretty exciting. The reaction to this announcement from uh, people in the uh, zoo and aquarium field has definitely been interesting and divisive. A lot of people feel that the way that the update was written uh, basically states that, um, you know, the aquarium does not think any cetaceans should be in captivity. People are accusing them of teaming up with anti-captivity groups that uh, have been raging against zoos and aquariums for years. And um, it's it's not going over super well with a certain section of the population. Um, there are definitely uh, people who spoke out against the language used in the, um, the writing on Facebook and Instagram. And uh, the National Aquarium really doubled down and basically said, yeah, no, it's it's time to get dolphins out of captivity, um, which was really interesting to see. They did say that they are, you know, very um, secure in the fact that um, the, the AZA facilities that are taking care of dolphins and other cetaceans are doing a great job and that they are getting world-class care. But they also said it's not really good enough and it's, it's time to move on from this practice. Um, it was interesting to see them getting, uh, I don't want to use the word attacked, but getting, um, let's say, some sharp rebukes uh, for that post from that side, while a lot of the anti-captivity crowd has been castigating them for posting this, saying that it's been seven years and they haven't done anything yet so that they're all a bunch of liars. So um, I don't think that is true. I also don't necessarily think that it is true that uh, cetaceans shouldn't be in captivity. I'm, I'm kind of in the middle on this one. Uh, but um, it, it's definitely interesting to see what the National Aquarium is attempting to do and also interesting to see how um, what they are attempting to do is is getting a lot of attention, uh, positive and negative, from the anti-captivity side and from the, uh, you know, AZA partners and people that work with these animals and stuff like that. Definitely an interesting story to follow. And speaking of an interesting story to follow, Zoo Boise has announced that they are now home to two red pandas. And y'all, these are famous red pandas. Clark, who has been an absolute staple at the San Diego Zoo for a long time, and Cinder, who was the star of Milwaukee County Zoo, uh, have both moved to Zoo Boise on a breeding wreck, which is really, really, really exciting. Little uh, Clark Cubs is just the most ridiculous idea ever. So that's pretty cool, and it's it's pretty exciting. And um, honestly, you're, you're probably wondering why I'm saying that this is a story worth following. But uh, all of my inboxes started blowing up shortly after this was announced. 
And the reason why it's becoming quite a story is that uh, somebody who I couldn't tell if they volunteered or worked for the zoo was commenting on all the posts, which were talking about the pandas and, and saying their names and everything, saying that the panda naming rights, at least for the female, will be up for auction at an upcoming auction for the zoo. Now, look. I know that it is not entirely uncommon for zoos to rename animals once they come into their possession. Um, it is not the favorite thing of a lot of keepers and honestly of a lot of zoo fans. But um, I do think that it's particularly problematic when you have uh, really well-known animals. I've actually heard some uh, tales uh, uh, from people who were going to go visit zoos and go visit animals, and then they changed their names, and the people were so disappointed that they didn't go or they didn't uh, make the donations they said they were going to make uh, when they heard that the, the beloved animal was going to a new facility. And both Cinder and Clark, especially Clark, are beloved in the Red Panda fan community. Um, it's, it's insane. I can't tell you, I got more comments telling me about this and more, um, people asking me to do something about it, uh, than I did all other stories combined this week. And, uh, as you will hear when I get to reading the names at the end of this episode, there were a lot of people who sent me stuff this week. Um, so this is something that I see as a, a bit of a problem. Not to be overly dramatic. Um, but so because of this, I reached out to Zoo Boise. Now, I am recording this episode uh, on Thursday, Thursday night, and this came to my attention on Wednesday night. So I did reach out to Zoo Boise, but I reached out today and they have not responded. But, um, you know, they didn't exactly have a lot of time to respond either. I don't put that on them. If this wasn't a scheduled for Friday episode, there would be more of a chance. So I'm hoping that I will hear back from Zoo Boise at some point in the next couple of days here and be able to talk to them about this. And I get it, you know, auctioning off names is a great way to make money. And I know that they're looking to um, upgrade or possibly completely rebuild a new red panda habitat, right? And what better way to do it? But what I'm going to propose to them is keeping the names and just doing a fundraiser uh, focused on getting Clark and Cinder better digs because those names are well-known and well-loved in this community, and I think people will happily donate to keep those names. And um, I also think that, pe uh, heck, I'm not even going to say think. I know that people will travel to see Clark and will travel to see Cinder, and I know that people would travel to see the cubs of the world-famous Clark who lived at San Diego for so long. So I'm hoping that Zoo Boise will maybe listen to this. I'm going to be tagging them and definitely reach out. And I'm hoping that I can make an impact here um, and, and maybe stop this from happening. And I'm not saying I will. I'm not saying I will be successful. Uh, but I am saying that I'm going to be relying on the Safari community and, and my, my uh, Red Panda friends uh, in particular to try to make this a thing if Zoo Boise is willing to work with me. So um, hopefully we can all uh, find a great way to keep Clark Clark, keep Cinder Cinder, and uh, get Zoo Boise the, uh, the finances to convince them to do so. So uh, I'm working on it, y'all, and, and let's cross those fingers. I'll, I'll keep you posted.
Okay, so those were all of my longer stories, but I do have a bunch of of shorter stories that we can talk about. Um, first of all, I want to give huge props to um, Maritime Aquarium, Beardsley Zoo, and Mystic Aquarium, all in Connecticut, for participating in the 2023 Connecticut Summer at the Museum Free Admissions for Kids program. Uh, if you are a resident of Connecticut and are interested in checking out any of those places with your kids, along with the Lutz Children's Museum or the Connecticut River Museum, uh, you can do so and get the kids in for free. And it's it's this really cool program and uh, it helps kids get educated. So big fan. And I love that they are all doing that. Um, the Cincinnati Zoo has announced that they have an entire new bachelor gorilla group. Chip Pende and Congo have arrived from the Detroit Zoo and are currently getting situated uh, in their indoor habitat before uh, they let them out to be seen by the public. But um, that should not take too long. And then we will be able to see these new male gorillas at the Cincinnati Zoo. The Nashville Zoo has announced that they will be opening a brand new exhibit on Thursday, July 27th, and it's an exciting one, y'all. They are going to have dragons. Okay, okay, we're not talking Game of Thrones here, but we are talking the largest Komodo dragon habitat in the Americas. It's actually on the path to the zoo's uh, veterinary center, which is extra cool because uh, you can actually go to the vet hospital there and and see things happening and, and see sometimes if there are animals that are like, I know I saw, you know, bentlets there for the first time um, through the window. It was really cool. Uh, and it has indoor and outdoor viewing areas and uh, should be really cool. It's a really great opportunity to see this incredible species and also to give people a reason to head on up to the vet hospital, which I think is always a great idea. The Memphis Zoo has announced that it is time to vote on the names of their new Sumatran tiger cubs. So you can vote one time and one time only, and you have to do it by Saturday, July 8th at noon. So uh, if you're listening to this, you have about, you know, a day and a half from, from when it drops. So head on over and check out the various names and vote for the names that you want the tiger cubs to have. The Dudley Zoo has announced that two endangered Coahuilan box turtles have been stolen from their reptile house. This was a targeted theft, uh, according to the zoo, as they are the only zoo collection in the country to hold this species of aquatic turtle, which is not only endangered, but is incredibly rare. Uh, they are a water-based species, and so their husbandry is harder than that of a lot of turtles, which are pretty challenging animals to take care of, actually. Um, and, you know, with the illegal pet trade being what it is, it's it's not a good thing. So hopefully these turtles get found soon. But uh, condolences to the Dudley Zoo. 
The Toronto Zoo has officially announced the opening of their new exhibit, Orangutans of Gunung Lucer, Guardians of the Rainforest. This is an absolutely beautiful orangutan habitat that I cannot wait to check out. So I highly recommend that you make your way on up to Toronto and check it out for yourself. The Maritime Aquarium has announced that they have a brand new species that you can go check out. Fennec foxes! Now, don't worry. I checked, and they're not keeping them in water despite being an aquarium. They do have some terrestrial species, and they have added fennec foxes, which is a really adorable and really awesome uh, species to to get to see and, and see playing around and stuff. So uh, go check out the fennecs at Maritime. It's, it's really, really exciting to see that they have those. Elmwood Park Zoo, our good friends in Norristown, Pennsylvania, have been doing dog days for a while now. We've uh, we've talked about that on before, uh, where you can um, you can take your dog, assuming that you know they are vetted properly, and I mean that both in that they are properly taken care of by a vet and that they pass the screening process at the zoo. Um, and you can take them to to the zoo and only to certain areas where the animals are okay with them. But you can walk around with your dogs on certain days at Elmwood Park Zoo, which is adorable. Well, it turns out that Elmwood Park Zoo opened their doors recently to our other good friends at the Pen Vet Working Dog Center, and uh, they brought in some puppies and other dogs from the Pen Vet Working Dog Center to go in and do puppy socialization and get to spend time at a facility, you know, where they might have to do work at a zoo someday. Um, back when uh, Zoe and I were were fostering um, various dogs for the Pen Vet Working Dog Center, we loved taking them to zoos. So it's just really cool seeing uh, two facilities that uh, I love so much, um, the Working Dog Center. Uh, and and Elmwood Park Zoo, both of which have been on the podcast, teaming up to help each other out. It's a beautiful and wonderful thing. And speaking of our friends, our friends at uh, Sea Life Arizona have teamed up with uh, Sea Life Orlando and the Sea Life Trust to sponsor a female loggerhead turtle for the Tour de Turtles, which is an annual online migration tracking event that is really cool and uh, something that I follow annually. And um, they have decided that the turtle is named Kelpie. So that's a really adorable name. And if you follow the Tour de Turtles, which you should, then you can go and root for our friend Kelpie. Yay, turtles. The Minnesota Zoo has announced... Wild Nights. This is a 18 plus festival series taking place every other Thursday from May 25th to September 14th at the zoo. This is after hours when the zoo would normally be closed and um, it is an evening filled with live local music, artisan vendors, food, drinks, and access to the zoo. And again, it's adults only. Look, kids are cool or whatever, but adult time at the zoo is the literal best. So um, if you have the chance to head to the Minnesota Zoo and and have yourself a bit of a date night there or just a, a nice adult hang, I highly recommend that you do it. 
Zoo Atlanta has announced that all panda encounters are currently waitlisted. If you would like to go behind the scenes with the giant pandas at Zoo Atlanta, and I'm pretty sure this is the only place uh, left uh, in the country where you can do that, uh, you now have to get on a waitlist well in advance of your visit. Um, obviously, uh, you know, that's going to make it a lot harder for people to see the giant pandas, but, um, those opportunities are disappearing. So if you want to shoot your shot and meet a giant panda, it is protected contact. Of course, uh, I'd get on a wait list as soon as possible. CNN recently released a list of 25 of the USA's most underrated destinations. And one of them was Durham, North Carolina, with CNN making a special point to mention the always incredible Duke Lemur Center. So just thought that was a cool little shout out. And speaking of lemurs, um, the Philadelphia Zoo has announced Lemur Island, a brand new walkthrough experience that takes you inside the exhibit of ringtailed and mongoose lemurs that live outside of the primate reserve at the zoo. There are no fences, moats, or barriers of any kind. Being in with lemurs is always an amazing experience, so I highly recommend going and checking this out at the Philly Zoo, and I can't wait to get back to Philly and check it out myself. The Staten Island Zoo has launched a summer-long campaign to help raise money for a new ultrasound machine. Uh, ultrasound machines are really helpful for uh, vets to have at zoos to do all kinds of important um, diagnostic stuff. This is why I'm not the vet. I'm I'm the drummer. Um, but yeah, it's it's very helpful to to have. Uh, a new ultrasound as a zoo. And as such, they are going to be doing a campaign that they are hoping to raise $20,000 through. So uh, if you have some deep pockets and want to help out the animals at the Staten Island Zoo, you can go to their social media to find out how to do so. And last but not least in zoo news, it is the end of an era out at the Mirage in Las Vegas. For over 30 years, the uh, Secret Garden, which was run by Siegfried and Roy at the Mirage, uh, housed a bunch of exotic cats, and they have now been relocated to two different sanctuaries, one in Texas and one in Oregon. So uh, those animals are no longer at the Mirage and are now going to live out their retirement in a sanctuary, which, um, you know, I wonder if they miss the, the lights and glamour of the strip. Somehow I doubt it. Stereotypical animal podcast theme song. Here to bring you to conservation news. The National Centers for Environmental Protection have confirmed that Monday, July 3rd, was the hottest ever average global temperature, with it being a record-breaking 17.01 degrees Celsius or 62.62 degrees Fahrenheit. And if you're thinking to yourself, well, that's not very high, this is the whole globe with all of the different, you know, seasons happening and like places like the Arctic and stuff. Um, now, when I say it's the hottest ever, obviously I'm talking about uh, in, you know, recorded 
history, but um, it's it's not good, y'all. There's there's the whole El Nino thing that we talked about uh, two weeks ago. There's human created climate change that is just raging, despite the fact that people still pretend that it's not which is not cool. Stop it. But yeah, hottest day in recorded human history. So congrats. Now, I promised myself that I wasn't going to go on a major rant about 4th of July fireworks because, you know, it already happened and they're not great for animals and we all know this. And it always kind of amazes me when I see people that are like really heavily animal people posting fireworks photos and such um, and being all excited about them. But as I always say, we all need to take the steps that we can take. And I'm not going to pretend that just earlier this week I didn't end up using a plastic straw. I always try not to. Um, I keep multiple uh, metal ones in my backpack and stuff, but um, one was just given to me and I didn't have an option on me and I I used the dang straw. I admit it. So like we're all not perfect. I'm truly not throwing any of you under the bus or judging. Um, it's, it's more shocking to me when I just like see it in such a public place on like, you know, conservation people pages. But again, I say this with no judgment. I understand no one is perfect. However, what I do want to say, I like that I was like, I'm not going to rant. And then I ranted. Um, but some cities across the United States this year for the first time ever switched from fireworks to drone displays with lights. Think like Christmas lights up in the sky controlled by drones. It's awesome. Uh, LA had um, some drone light stuff happening. And um, they they even had little sea turtles flying through the sky at one point. So it's it's really cool and, and really exciting. And I think that we should probably all start doing that right away, um, you know, to, to try to what do you call it? Um, save, save the planet. That's that's the term that I was looking for. Save the planet. <laughs> it takes a lot more than just getting rid of fireworks to save the planet, y'all. I know that. You know that. We all know that. But yeah, absolutely cool to see, you know, a step in the right direction. That's all we can all try to do. A leatherback sea turtle has laid a nest on Ocracoke Island, which is uh, off of Cape Hatteras, um, and it's the first time that's happened in 11 years. Not only is it the first time in 11 years, but it is now only the sixth time uh, in the 2000s that a leatherback has nested there. So just another interesting thing to see. Um I've been sharing a lot of stories recently about turtles either returning to nest sites they haven't been to for a very long time or um, going to new places to nest and, and that kind of stuff. And it, it's cu- I'm curious to see what this will end up meaning, what this will end up being, if it's um, something scary or something just cool or turtles just adapting to climate change or what, but uh, definitely something worth keeping an eye on. And we go from one of my favorite animals to another one. The Red Panda Network has officially launched a Red Panda art auction. 
So this is kind of cool. You can go to Red Panda Network's social media pages or redpandanetwork.org to find the uh, the link to the auction. It is running through the 9th, so go look soon. You've only got a couple more days. Um, and it is uh, exactly what it sounds like. It's, it's an art auction. Some of the art is from Red Pandas Who Paint, you know, little paw prints or just allowed to paint like you saw our buddy Jacob at uh, Buttonwood Park Zoo do. Jacob and Marie, they both painted. Um, or, you know, sometimes it's just like artists who created art of red pandas, paintings and stuff. So you can buy uh, both types of red panda art and support red panda conservation in the wild. Go check it out. Out in Australia, a species that has not been seen since 1969 has been rediscovered. This is the Australian earless dragon. And uh, you might be wondering where it was discovered. Well, I'm not going to tell you. Okay, actually, I'm not the one who's not going to tell you. They are keeping the location secret to try to properly conserve this animal in its newly rediscovered habitat, uh, which I think is pretty brilliant and I hope is successful and they're able to do things and save this species that was thought to be extinct. So yeah, maybe we'll get some more earless dragons in Australia in the near future. A deep-sea octopus nursery has been found beneath the waves off Costa Rica. This is only the third ever active octopus nursery that has been discovered, um, which just goes to show how little we still understand about our oceans and these animals in general. Um, it's, it's exactly what it sounds like. Octopus mothers gather together to brood their eggs and, um, you know, they, they hang out there, um, and try to do it together. Now we all know that the, the octopuses don't necessarily, um, survive the the hatching of the babies but by being together uh the mothers are able to protect each other better as well as protect their eggs better so um pretty cool story that just shows how much we still don't understand about octopus and and the oceans which is something i already said but i felt the need to recap it for y'all sorry there is an invasive species that is being found in Missouri and possibly making its way to Arkansas as well. Um, that is a really shocking kind of animal. Uh, it is an air-breathing freshwater fish that can uh, slither and, and stay alive on land, you know, despite being... A fish. It is the northern snakehead fish, although it has been nicknamed the Frankenfish because of the fact that it is a sharp toothed land and sea air breathing killer. Uh, yeah, so as an invasive species, it is really problematic. And um, people are being told that if they see it in these states or anywhere else, that they should kill it or alert authorities because uh, it's an invasive species. But what a cool invasive species. Who who knew that there were air breathing murder fish? It's very cool. And finally, in conservation news, since I think conservation storytelling is so important, cough, cough, 
podcast, Cough Cough. Uh, Wild Kingdom Protecting the Wild is back, as y'all know. It's, it's on Disney+. Plus, and it has been announced that it will be premiering on NBC. So that's really exciting to have uh, Wild Kingdom actually back on TV, where it can reach an even larger audience. Yay! It's time for other news. It's time for other news. Hey, no, right now, right now, it's time. It's time for other news. Hey, it's a segue to the park on other news. We start off other news with another moose story from Alaska, uh, one that makes all of the other moose stories from Alaska that we covered in the last couple of months a little bit scarier. A rabid moose has been found in Alaska. This is the first ever documented case of rabies in a moose in North America. Uh, it was found wandering around a town, as many moose have been doing lately. And uh, yeah, apparently moose, or at least this one, can get rabies. So uh, yeah, if you're up in Alaska, I guess um, watch out for moose, especially the rabid ones. Okay. So you know how we all use baby talk at some point, whether we're talking to children or to pets or whatever. You know, the high-pitched tones, the swooping voices, the cooing. It's sometimes referred to as motherese, which I hate, but whatever. You know, oh, oh my goodness, yes, you're such a good little podcast audience. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. Well, a new study shows that dolphins may actually do the same thing. Bottlenose dolphin mothers heighten the pitch of their whistles when communicating with their calves. This is the first time that <clears throat> motherese, I really hate that, baby talk has been found in a non-human animal, including primates that are much closer to us um, that you might think would, would be doing it. Um, so yeah, it is believed that uh, baby talk enhances bonding and learning, for human babies, and now maybe for dolphin babies as well. Isn't that just so cute? You're such a good little audience for listening to that. Yes, you are. And last but not least in other news, uh, Kutztown University in Pennsylvania recently had their university police department issue an aggressive cow alert because there was a bull wandering around the north campus of the university um so yeah the the bull was around for about an hour or so and then the owner went down and uh and claimed the bull um but but yeah y'all if you live in pennsylvania sometimes you might just get an aggressive cow alert Animal, animal, animal holidays. Animal, animal, animal holidays. All right, so we are still in July, which is Parks and Recreation Month, Plastic Free July, National Bison Month, and Wild About Wildlife Month. We're all wild about wildlife, aren't we? And then for our uh, individual days, on the 9th, it's World Saola Day. The 10th is Capybara Appreciation Day. The 11th is Cow Appreciation Day. And those are your animal holidays for the week. Okay. 
All right. So there we have it, folks. Another week of Raw Safari Zoo News. I'd like to say thank you to my Red Panda level patrons, Laura Shank, Kristen Dickey, and Stephen Williamson. Your support for the pod means so much. And thank you to all of my patrons who support the pod. I'd also like to say thank you to everyone who sent me Zoo News stories this week, including Anya Keen, Colleen Lenahan, Kim Cooley, Carrie Kirkpatrick, Kevin Williams, Karen Musklau, Laura Shank, Michael Sebastian, Dylan Hoy, Ali Malensky, Stephen Williamson, Jay Meredith, Elizabeth Dunlevy, Emily Rockbuck, Zoe Rossi, Katie Prop, Megan Barrett, and Melissa Reed. Thank you all so very much. And remember, friends, the words newsy credits backwards. Our Steider Kiswen. The Rossafari Podcast is produced, hosted, and engineered by John Rossi. Editing and fact-checking by John and Dr. Zoe Rossi. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan and John. Interrupting John theme and additional voices by Taylor Isaac Gray. You can reach John directly on Instagram and Facebook at Rossafari or by email at rossafaripod at gmail.com. Rossafari is part of the Daydreamer Media Network. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo. And one of them was Durham, North Carolina. Oh my gosh, I said that weird.